0: Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Andrew Elf, Chief Executive Officer of Mitchell Services Limited. Thank you for joining us on the Arate Podcast again this week and it's great to uh, be looking forward to Christmas. We're gonna have a bit of a break, uh, a couple of weeks without any podcasts, but I have plenty of exciting podcasts lined up to start the new year with. But before we get into this podcast, for those people who are enjoying the intro music, my very good friend, Simon Gardner, who wrote and performed that track, has just released a new CD called, And So It Goes. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna feature a track by Simon at the end of the podcast so you can have a listen and if you like it I'm sure he would really appreciate your support uh, by buying his album or going along to one of his gigs. So hang around at the end of the podcast and you'll be able to hear Simon's piece of music this week, The Celts of Autumn. Well, I'm sure for regular listeners, you're probably getting a bit sick of me telling you about Arate and the motivation for this podcast and my business. But for those people who are new to the podcast, very briefly, Arate is a Greek word meaning the fulfillment of one's full potential. And the podcast was created to highlight people who have achieved or are achieving their full career potential as a way of those people who want to achieve similar things in their own career being able to listen to those who have walked the path before them and hopefully pick up some lessons and tips that they can apply to their own career in order to accelerate towards their full potential. And RHA Executive is my business that has now been operating for seven years and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. And if you're interested in learning more about our business, you can have a look at our website and there will be a link in the show notes. So today, it's a great podcast because the guy we're interviewing has uh, become the CEO of a listed company at a very young age. And I think he's been able to achieve some amazing things in his career by working incredibly hard, being tenacious and highly competitive, and uh, he's got a great story to share. So let's go now and introduce Andrew Elf. Andrew Elf was appointed Chief Executive Officer of Mitchell Services Limited on the 20th of March 2014. Andrew has over 15 years financial, commercial and operational experience in various senior roles both in Australia and overseas. He has a Bachelor of Commerce and an MBA and grew up in Adelaide but now lives in Brisbane with his family, his wife and two young children. It's great to have Andrew on, sit back and enjoy this conversation. So Andrew, uh, welcome to the Arate podcast. It's uh, great to have you on and uh, it is a Friday afternoon, very late, so we won't talk too long because I'll probably cut into beer o'clock I imagine. But uh, thanks for um, having me out at your premises here and uh, really looking forward to this conversation.
1: No, thank you very much for inviting me on and and looking forward to uh, our discussion.
0: Excellent, so Andrew, um, really to begin with, just for the people who are listening, why don't you just give us a brief overview of your current responsibilities uh, professionally?
1: Sure, so I'm the the Chief Executive Officer for Mitchell Services Limited, an ASX-listed drilling services company uh, for a company that's had ties to the drilling industry since uh, 1969. Okay. Uh, You know, Nathan sold the business to Lucas Shortly before the GFC and, and had a five-year non-compete mm-hmm. and we re-entered the Australian market uh, just on two years ago
0: Okay, and how long have you been in your role for?
1: Just under two years, Okay, so I came back in as uh, Chief Operating Officer uh, with Nathan as the Managing Director uh, And they sort of wanted to make sure that I had what it took to, to do the job and sure. and after a period of time uh, They were confident enough to, to give me the role, which was fantastic So, okay. you know, very... Uh, Very humbling to be given the opportunity and um, really enjoying it.
0: Great and uh, just give us an idea of the sort of scope of the business, how many people and what sort of type of operations etc.
1: So when we re-entered the Australian market we we did it through a reverse takeover of a previously listed drilling company Drill Talk Uh and they had approximately you know half a dozen rigs running uh, and we were up to sort of 25 rigs running uh, in November 2015 this year and headcount was up around 160 odd in the field mm-hmm. and around about 14 or so in, in head office.
0: Okay, and what sort of drilling do you do?
1: A very wide range, which is why it's such a great place to work. Uh, surface, underground, minerals, uh, you know, precious minerals, uh, coal, mm-hmm. a lot of mine services work, uh, gas work, water wells. So it's a, one of few companies that, that offers a very broad range of, of services, which also helps diversify us as well which is good
0: which i imagine in the current market with uh the mining industry uh, going through some challenging times and oil and gas and uh pretty sort of volatile and cyclical uh, you need that diversity
1: correct and uh the, a lot of the oil and gas work has has stopped obviously as as you'd be aware uh, exploration work is hard to come by mm-hmm. you know people looking for new deposits things is, is very very difficult and a lot of our work is brownfields Focused existing mind sites, existing operations. So it's good that we do have that wide variety of mm-hmm. expertise.
0: Okay, great. So why don't you take us back to uh, you know where it all began? Uh, where were you born, and what was your early life like? Mum and dad, and brothers and sisters, etc.
1: Very lucky, I would say, growing up. I had uh, from Adelaide originally, so uh, I'm not a banana bender. Right. But uh, went to school in Adelaide at Ross Trevor, which is uh, a Christian Brothers school, the equivalent of, of Terrace here okay. in here in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, Dad was a real estate agent, mum was a conveyancer part-time, or helped out a bit in the business. And my sister, uh, obviously younger than me, a couple of years, and she's now followed in dad's footsteps as as a real estate agent. Okay. And um, obviously uh, had a great childhood, no problems, parents stayed together, um, good schooling, Uh, parents gave me the opportunity to go to university, did Dad have
0: his own business, or he worked for somebody
1: else? He did. He had his own business. Did really well. Okay. Diversified into into rent roll management. Right. Um, wrote some of his own computer programs uh, that assisted uh, rent roll managers. Okay. Uh, and also became the the go to person in Adelaide for for rent roll purchases and sales. So did very well in his later years in in that regard, sort of diversifying away from just straight selling. Um, and, and, and did very very well. Started with nothing, worked his way up, and, and did fantastically well. So, you,
0: you know, weren't attracted to uh, following in his footsteps.
1: No, I always, I always wanted to run a business. Um, that was my goal. My goal in life was to to run and, and manage a business, which I'm lucky enough to be doing sure. now. Uh, whether it was going to be my own business or you know public business, who knew? But you know, here we are today. Uh, I certainly realised that. You know, running a business is, is tough work, challenging, but you know, very rewarding and uh, good fun at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, um, straight out of high school into university?
1: Big mistake, yes. Right. Uh, my first year at university was, was a waste of time. I really didn't achieve too much or get very good results at all, I must be honest and say. So I'd certainly recommend that uh, my kids, if they choose to go that way, take a year, yeah. and, and um, I think they'd be all the better for it, to be right. honest. Had a good, good, hard look at myself after that first year at uni. Knuckled down, and and really, you know, got some great results from then on. So,
0: right, so first year was uh, chasing girls and drinking beer, wasn't
1: it? And a lot of surfing and right. going to the gym and okay, yeah, fit, healthy, all those things. So it was, a, it was good fun. But yeah, the the marks went too good, and no,
0: my life's exactly the same. And
1: and needless to say that. Uh, after dad paying for the first year, he put me on hex from, uh, from then on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, fair enough. And so uh, did you end up having to take longer to knock it off or you still got it done in the, the normal time?
1: No, after, so it was a, th- a three year course. The first year was a write off. I think it took me three and a bit right. to make up for the, for the subjects that didn't go so well in that first year.
0: Okay, mm. okay. And then, uh, so uh, what happened there? Were you working while you were at university?
1: I started working quite young. Uh, at McDonald's, okay. Uh, my dad knew one of the uh, store owners of a store in Adelaide and gave me a run, which is great. And very good grounding, very good background. Um, You know, my first, I'll never forget my first shift, uh, jumping in a rubbish bin, squashing the rubbish down, and the school manager was just screaming at me to keep jumping, Right. and uh, when I was pouring, was sweaty, just said to me, just remember, no one's irreplaceable, Right. go and clean yourself up. Get in the kitchen, and nice. it's something I remember to this day: is that no one is irreplaceable, and yeah. and uh, you know high performers um, that don't fit, or you know all these sort of things. You've just got to lance the boil, so to speak. Right. So it was a good good lesson early on.
0: Probably uh, not a uh, leadership skill that we've been taught at <laughs> university. Though. Uh.
1: Yeah, but you know we all we all grow and mature, and that and that right. same that same store manager uh, now owns three stores. Uh, and is very highly regarded by, you know, the McDonald's Corporation as a franchisee. Um, And I spent 10 years working at McDonald's, worked my way up to being a a part-time manager there. I worked there for two years once I started uh, working and finished university, just one day a week. So I was was working six days a week. I just enjoyed working there, but it got to a point where enough's enough. So, So just over 10 years there, but a very good grounding in regards to systems, structures, procedures, discipline, organisation and all those sort of things. And I think a lot of that has, has held me in, in good stead uh, in a lot of things that I've I've moved into in mm. the future.
0: And university and accounting degree. So what was the attraction to going down that yeah. path?
1: So it was commerce majoring in accounting and it was purely to get a, a very good grounding and understanding uh, of numbers and, and how things tick and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things. So. Mm-hmm. I always did want to run a business. I knew that when I was young,
2: mm-hmm. and I
1: even went into that degree. I never wanted to be a CFO. I never wanted to to go into practice, yep. uh, professional practice. It was always of the aim of of moving into, you know, a good graduate role with a broad grounding, and and then into commercial roles and uh, you know P and L responsibility, etc. Sure. Et cetera.
0: Yep. And then first job out of uni, one steel.
1: Yeah, one steel. Part of it was part of BHP back then, tube makers it was called. Um, and I was on the BHP graduate program, which was a fantastic grounding. So exposure to inventory, stores, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, the rest of it, the finance, and, and you got a very good broad uh, range of skills over a, you know a couple of year graduate program. So is this
0: is where you do sort of three months in a role and then move to the next role, yeah, et cetera? Yeah. And uh, you mentioned some finance related roles. Did it also encompass sales and marketing and and those kind of uh, divisions? To
1: a lesser degree, little okay, bit, little right. bit. But it was interesting. You know, I got offered a, a role with McDonald's in Sydney in the corporate office. Okay. For twenty eight thousand dollars a year, relocate right. to Sydney. All right. Um, the the one steel slash tube makers BHP offered 48k stay in Adelaide so it was actually right quite an easy decision
0: so but 48k wouldn't have been your starting salary would it yeah really yeah right okay yeah so
1: 28 versus 48
0: right uh, yeah I'm a little bit older than you but I can remember <laughs> distinctly my first salary at James Hardy $26,100 how <laughs> <laughs> times have changed absolutely right okay so um Adelaide uh, you remained base there for some time then
1: Correct, yeah, it was Adelaide's home, friends and family there, uh, obviously met my, my lovely wife Melissa there and um, spent that first couple of years with One Steel and, and then moved on to uh, to Elders thereafter.
0: Uh-huh, and so what type of role was that?
1: That was in accounting, Right. Uh, working in their, in their wool division uh, and then I moved into several different roles whilst at Elders. Okay. And uh, very lucky to be given an opportunity to work as a, a finance director with them for their Indonesian business mm-hmm. and uh, I think I don't think I'd be where I am today without being given that opportunity at, at that age it was a, a wonderful opportunity.
0: And what, what was so um, critical about that role in terms of how your career's un, um, uh, unfolded since then? I think
1: the international experience uh, you know combined with a, a senior finance role uh, at a younger age right? Uh, and the company was very supportive too so I spent three weeks in Indonesia, and then one week in Australia. Right. And it was a matter of, the role was go in there after the, the previous person, tidy everything up, make sure it was, was right, mm-hmm. and then recruit a local person mm-hmm. uh, to take over, mm. which And we how did. old
0: would you have been there?
1: Early 20s back then, okay. I would say.
0: So quite a significant role, you know, mm. a lot of trust placed in you at a young age. What do you think were some of the traits that you were demonstrating that gave them the confidence that you could do that?
1: I think some of those traits that I've still got today is just you know never give in keep fighting fiercely competitive you know they'd know that I'd you know would probably die before I didn't succeed right so that that number one but also just uh, you know the quality of the work and, mm-hmm. and communication skills mm-hmm. I think too I think uh, the, the ability to communicate with with people you know from a senior level to a you know, to to any sort of level in an organisation, mm-hmm. and and uh, across cultures too, mm-hmm. which was which was good. So that was a a wonderful uh, opportunity over there, and and really opened my eyes to how the how the world can can work in places sure. other than Australia. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: think uh, I've spent a bit of time in Indonesia, and uh, it's a fascinating uh, culture. Yeah. Um, And to think that it's so close to Australia and yet it could be on a different planet, could it?
1: Yeah, so we had one time where there was, uh, we did a stock take of the cattle in the yard because the the business was importing cattle from northern Australia and we'd put them in feedlots and they'd gain weight, we'd sell them. And we were down about 24 cattle. Couldn't couldn't work out why. Worth about $1,000 each. So we had to hire a security company to spy on the security company. Okay. And we found out that the security company that was getting spied on was chlorophylling the cattle, tying the legs together, carrying them out, chopping them up, selling the meat, and burying the carcasses.
0: Right.
1: So, you Jeez. know, very, that was an interesting one to manage.
0: Right, yeah, I bet uh, mm. that would have been uh, some hairy conversations.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was.
0: And so, uh, in that role for a couple of years, and then off to BAE.
1: Yeah, and that was an interesting move. It was, uh, you know, probably a little bit of a higher High-level role back in Australia and um, quite a large PL there, sort of three fifty million for the region. Uh, some fantastic experience, highly technical um, role, but you know the industry wasn't for me. I wasn't there a long time. Um, very slow moving, very large. Mm-hmm. Um, you know some good people, um, but just not quite the right fit for me. I don't think, to be honest. It was um, you know billion-dollar tenders bidding on capability. That you had to develop that didn't exist, and forty-five people working on a tender for three months—you lose it. Right. It's finished. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I sort of knew after the Indonesian role and that role that it was time to really look at getting into a good commercial role, and I had the experience to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to get the role at, at Bort Year, which was my entry into the into the drilling industry.
0: Okay. And uh, how did you uh, get that role? How did that appear on your radar?
1: very difficult to find a, a good commercial manager role in adelaide with a listed company mm-hmm. with a head office in adelaide so li- limited people to choose from sure so you know uh,
0: and it really hasn't
1: changed a great deal companies like you know bae elders santos bought long year they're all still there uh and at you know at the time the market was was better than now and, and bought long Year was a you know a, quite a large company still is and uh yeah, you know, saw the role came out and, and, and went through the process and, and was lucky enough to, to be selected. So it was a pretty straightforward sure. process. But, okay. a, but again, um, a fantastic company and learn a, a massive amount there.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um, you had some fairly quick moves early in your career, 12 months a year, two years there. Yeah. Um, but you stayed with uh, that organisation for quite a long time. Yeah. So what, what was it about that particular business that uh, yeah. kept you engaged and excited? Yeah.
1: Definitely the business, the people, but also the industry. I think, uh, you know, as I said, the, the defence industry, very slow moving. Mm-hmm. The, the drilling industry, there's nothing that moves faster. Right. You know, it really gives blood and guts contracting at its best. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, nothing like it. So I love that, the action. Uh, again, great organisation, been around... They're celebrating their 125th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they invented drilling, invented rigs, things like that. Mm-hmm. So the systems and, and structures and procedures uh, and learnings that you got uh, in that business were were very good. And a lot of people that have left Bort Longyear uh, recent times are now leading other drilling companies all over the place. You know, right, Peter, okay. Peter Jacobs at Farako for Australia, uh, myself, and Derek Lachlan running a, a major other uh, global manager for a Index mm-hmm. uh, for the Reflex division. So a lot of us have have moved onwards and, and upwards into other roles outside of of bought long So you know a lot of excellent um, training time and effort was certainly uh, put into me during my time there. And, okay. and they were the ones that that gave me my first opportunity to to manage and run a business and have P and L responsibility as well.
0: So what was that? Uh, what did that business look like?
1: So that was looking after. Central and Eastern Australia for their drilling services business. Mm-hmm. So we sort of got up to probably at one stage there, you know, 50 million turnover, a couple of hundred people, 30 plus rigs. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a good business in, you know, in a market that was pretty much booming, yeah. obviously. Yeah. That was before the GFC. Mm-hmm. And then in the GFC, uh, you know, the business really got cut by probably 70% within three weeks. It just stopped that quickly.
0: Wow, that's brutal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's
1: that's drilling. Sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, one minute it's mag- magic and the next minute it's uh, it's a disaster, but you yeah, know, that's why we love it, I suppose.
0: Right. So in, they talk about it in the recruitment industry is a uh, champagne champagne and razor blades. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, <laughs> one week it's <laughs> the next week it's uh, pretty terrible. Yeah, very much so. Right. Very and much you, so. you know, I mean you said that you love the blood and guts contracting the pace of it. What 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 are some of the you know the fundamental parts of this business that really have excited you and kept you in this industry?
1: Yeah. Look, at, one thing that's 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 good about it is is working with the larger clients. Uh, okay. You know, and they're the ones that have got the the larger budgets, uh, the ongoing work. Um, you know, and uh, they're the clients that you want, the blue chip clients, things like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can take you three or four years to to just keep talking and keep working with them and eventually they'll, they'll give you a go and then you've got to do your best to, to hang yeah. on to them. So uh, again, that's that's how you're going to build a, a long-term sustainable drilling business mm-hmm. wherever you are and, and those sort of things mm-hmm. like that. So that's what we've focused on at, at Mitchell Services since our re-entry into the market and, and have formed some fantastic relationships with, with Peabody and, and Anglo and uh, evolution amongst mm-hmm. others.
0: So you mentioned uh, that um, your previous employer you know, reduced by 70% in three weeks. And so was that the time that you exited that business?
1: Yeah, so they consolidated the regions and uh, I was lucky enough to be offered another role uh, as a as, as a finance manager for the Asia Pacific for their products and manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. So there are two sides to the business of Borlonghi. One was drilling and one was... Selling drilling products and mm-hmm. capital equipment and manufacturing,
0: and you're still in Adelaide at this time.
1: Still in Adelaide. Yeah. So with the drilling role, they transferred me from Adelaide to Brisbane mm-hmm. and then back to Adelaide. Okay. And then the finance role was in Adelaide, and lucky enough to get offered a role and, and not the door. Sure. And I think at the time they were going through a Oracle implementation, yeah. mm-hmm. and so they asked they asked me to move to Salt Lake in a in a Oracle Global implementation role and it would have been a lot of travel and you know had a our first young son Lachlan was around then and we sort of just said um you know well, we're going to have kids but um didn't want to didn't want to move and right. and that sort of stuff it wasn't the right time so knocked it back um you know and then and sort of they sort of said to me look you know what could potentially happen sure. da, 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 da and yeah. and, uh, and that was the way it rolled so I started putting some some minds out into the fire mm-hmm. for for other, for other roles, and ended up coming up to Brisbane with uh, with Nathan to have a meeting. Yeah, and what a meeting it was! I'll never forget it. It was sitting in a room. Uh, he had a small office at the time. After selling Australia, he retained international business, and he sort of said, "Look, you know, you can come and join us and and, and grow and, and you know, see what you can do for me overseas. And you never know what's going to happen." Mm-hmm non-compete expires in Australia we could re-enter um, you know we might we might have a listed vehicle or not um, and would you believe it sort of five years later it, it's all happened they sure. re-entered australia used a listed vehicle and uh, you know i've been lucky enough to get this job mm-hmm. so it's been a it was a big decision to leave you know it was really the first smaller private company i worked for mm-hmm. uh, uh, moving out of a listed space and uh, so
0: did you reach out to him initially you started to think what's next for me and so you approached Mitchell, rather than Mitchell approaching you. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, and so, what was the 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 basis on that approach? Did you reach out to him and say, "I'm looking for a job. Do you want to meet with me to uh, see if you know I can add value to your team?" Or were you pretty much like that? Pretty much. Right.
1: Yeah. I did, it was along the lines of, "Look, I know you've I know you've sold Australia. I know you've kept overseas. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what your plans are for the business, but I think you know." Given the limited experience I had in Indonesia, you know, which was a little bit, sure. not a great deal, you know, I, I was successful there. I can do it elsewhere. Yeah, um, you know, let me know. And and sure enough, after that conversation, maybe a month and a half later, a call came for right. for a meeting. Right. Um, you know, and then I ended up getting uh, getting the bullet at Year, got made redundant from the role. Okay. Signed the contract the next week with Nathan. Right. Had. Uh, Two and a half months off, so I was there for the last, last sort of month and a bit of my wife's pregnancy with my second child, Addison. Yeah. First month of her being born, and then started uh, in March of the following year with um, with Mitchell in Brisbane. Back in right. Brisbane.
0: Well, that's excellent. I mean, before we move on from that, I think that's a really important point because, uh, you know, I've written a book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, and I'm constantly coaching senior executives about how they need to reach out to their potential employers of choice and create the opportunity by getting in front of those people before they know that they need them. And, you know, you are a living example of how that has obviously worked very well for you. I I
1: knew as soon as I knocked back that role in in Salt Lake that uh, I needed to, if I wanted to get into a a good role Mm. with a good company, you know, back running a drilling company, uh, I had to take her by the horns and, and, and make it happen myself mm-hmm. and uh you know nathan is, is absolutely brilliant um hell of a smart guy entrepreneur uh, to the max got a brilliant brand and reputation in the market and um you know what i've learned from him and the time that he's given me and, and that sort of thing has, has just been amazing great
0: mm. i've never met nathan but i yeah. certainly know him by reputation yeah. and uh and so i imagine when he was painting this picture for you of what the future could look like I mean that must have been pretty exciting to uh, jump on board at that time.
1: It's very exciting and uh, you know then you have got to go back to Adelaide and, and sell it to the to the family saying, so right. I'm, I'm moving to a, to a, a private company and, and this is it and and, and I've got a, a wonderfully supportive wife always has been um, and I, was, I sincerely appreciate that and you know we made the decision and, and, and up we came and still here now in Brisbane. You know, I got the kids into a couple of nice schools, and, and my wife's doing well, and uh, nice house, and just love Brisbane. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, very very happy, very lucky as well. Worked hard, but but um, you know, a bit of luck along the way as well.
0: Okay, and so five years into the role, pretty much. Yep. Um, if you look over that time, what's an example of a key achievement that you'd hang your hat on and you'd say, this is why I'm good at my job. You know, this is yep. something that has happened in this five year period that I'm really proud of. Yeah.
1: It would have to be the the entry of Mitchell uh, into Mozambique. Okay. And so, you know, during the during the time overseas with Mitchell, we worked in in Russia, in China, uh, India, a couple of other places in Africa. Uh, but we relocated quite a number of assets and and, and purchased a, a lot of new assets.
0: Well, yeah, and you're referring to drill rigs.
1: To drill rigs. Yeah. To work for Rio Tinto mm-hmm. in Mozambique, mm-hmm. the now infamous investment into uh, you know with Riversdale. Yeah. So at one stage there we had 15 rigs running with with Rio. Right. Um, we've still got rigs there with Vale, um, you know, and worked with uh, with others as well. But really going there with a, a phone and a laptop, mm-hmm. uh, and then getting it up to a, you know a 30 plus million turnover business with full management team in a com in a country where the first language is Portuguese, mm-hmm. and every single document has to be translated for you to be able to read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to be compliant, to be safe, uh, to be profitable, um, you know, and to work with a company like Rio. Mm. And and certainly that work and reputation that we built with them over there is, you know, has served us well with our re-entry back here. Uh, Mitchell worked with Rio previously in Australia. Yeah, and. You know, we're, we're now qualified and on tender lists to, right. to hopefully work with them again in the future here.
0: Okay. And so a situation like uh, Mozambique, does that come about because Rio were there and they say, hey, can you come here because we want you to work with us? Or were you going there and saying, we're here now, we want to work with yeah. you? So
1: the, we had a good relationship with some of the people in Riversdale Yeah. and and they knew that they were onto to some... Some good deposits there, okay. and the drilling companies that were there or were working for them weren't coal specialists. Had trouble doing a doing a good job with you know recovering the core for them to do their analysis, and mm-hmm. and they needed someone they could trust. And uh, we've we've worked with them before in other places, mm-hmm. and they sort of said, "Look, can you can you bring a few rigs in?" So we thought, "Oh, is it worth going there?" Because you always need a, a base load level of work to justify sure. a new country entry, mm-hmm. setting up the entity. There's a cost associated with all of that, and and we weighed it up, and we came to an agreement with them, and got in there, and then obviously, you know, they got taken over, and Rio got it, and and ramped it up, and it, and it sort of went from there. Okay. But you know, we've also worked with quite a few other clients in country there, in you know, in gold, in graphite, and other other commodities as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Just to give people a bit of a sense of, um, you know, the rigs that you're talking about. I mean, for people like me who don't have much exposure, you think of these offshore rigs which are massive. <laughs> but you know, well, you're talking about, okay, bringing sort of 15 rigs there or whatever it is. But give us an idea of the sort of size and complexity of a piece yeah. of equipment like that.
1: So in our in our business, across all of our businesses, we've got different types of rigs. Yeah. Um, you know, the rigs that you're talking about in Mozambique, probably half a million each. Okay. But then you've got to add everything else to it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to put a you know vehicle with a jack up pumps, you know, light vehicles and the rest of it. So Mm -hmm. just call it 750 to a million per rig, roughly. That gives you an idea of the capital investment required to be running 15 rigs. Mm -hmm. Then you're talking about, you know, a nice facility that's um, secure with spares and inventory and other things like that. So it's a material investment in, you know, um, a foreign jurisdiction. Mm. Uh, And then other rigs we've got, underground rigs, you know, that can be sort of, Again, 400000 to 600000 up to a million depending on the type of rig, if it's a mobile rig. Mm-hmm. Um, surface rigs, $3 million each. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and sort are of, these
0: being bespoke manufactured for you or are they something that uh, you're not buying off the shelf, but obviously, but, uh, but there are certain types of rigs and you just buy the, the standard sort of uh, spec- specification? Correct.
1: Right. Yeah, you would generally try and stay with the major rig manufacturers, Sandvik, okay, yeah. uh, Atlas Copco, yeah. you know, those, those sort of right. people. Okay. But everybody everybody does things a little bit differently in regards to the ancillary equipment they have mm-hmm. or the way they set up the site, the way they do their training mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and back office systems and, and those sort of things.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, Mozambique, uh, for you to reflect back on it and say that's probably one of your key achievements in the role, um, obviously that turned into quite a successful... Uh, business decision for you
1: yeah absolutely and and still there to this day and and going well and, and the business over there is expanded into uh, into Tanzania okay and there's a there's good uh, good long-term underground contract there for four rigs with um, Barrick now Acacia mm-hmm. which is good mm-hmm. uh, and I think over time that that business will continue to to do well
0: right and you mentioned uh, there was a five-year um, non-compete about operating back in Australia that's now expired. So how long ago did that expire?
1: that expired in August, two
0: thousand thirteen. Okay. So how quickly did things ramp up back here then?
1: So we completed. We obviously we you know we weren't allowed to talk to anyone do anything before that date. Yeah. So, you know the the drill talk opportunity transaction came up after that, and I think that was completed in late uh, late two thousand thirteen. Okay so it, it happened sort of pretty quickly right um you know our hope was that the market would have returned a little bit more than it has between now and then but it is where it is yeah uh but at the same time we've we've had some good traction in the marketplace and, and have achieved quite a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know having been back in now for around about two years uh and and, and having that sort of count up around the 25 in November and the headcount where I mentioned before, um, the team's done a wonderful job. Mm
0: -hmm. And so now that you've uh, re-established yourself here back in Australia, is the expectation that Australia will become the predominant focus of the business moving forward, or is the international operation still a critical Mm -hmm. part of it? So the the
1: international operation is is 100% owned by Nathan. Mm -hmm. Obviously the the Australian company is a listed ASX co. Mm -hmm. Uh that international company just recently, uh, our management agreement with them expired. Mm-hmm. So Nathan and, and his personal team are managing that business themselves. Okay, right. So uh, a
0: complete. Uh, you don't have any um, oversight of that business?
1: No, as of a few months ago when the agreement expired, no. Right, okay. And, uh, and so we're 100% focused on Australia. Yeah. Uh, but one would think a natural progression... Progression at a future point in time would be for this company to potentially look at, a, at an acquisition of that company right, to sure. give us an overseas uh, arm. Yep. So, you know, that's something that we've got on our radar at a future point in time and mm-hmm. it may or may not happen, but mm-hmm. you know, one day you'd like to think that um, it's, a, it's a growth opportunity for us.
0: Sure. And uh, I imagine going through the listing process or um, going through uh, the, re- you, you said you made a reverse acquisition to um, become listed I mean that's uh, no doubt had a lot of uh, interesting challenges associated with that talk us through um, you know what happened there yeah. it's been a really interesting two
1: years we completed the transaction with DrillTalk, so you know they were an ASX listed drilling company the name changed to, to Mitchell services mm-hmm. the management team team changed to, to our management team. You know, and then we had the the next transaction was the capital raise and acquisition of Tom Brown mm-hmm. and then the capital raise and acquisition of nitro mm-hmm. so we sort of had three major transactions in a two year period mm-hmm. uh, It's amazing how much of my time has been spent with investors uh, and the market and, and in in regard to corporate related things integrations and those sort of things mm-hmm. It's incredible how much time it takes um, but having said that, it's been it's been wonderful to put all of that behind us now and, and get them integrated. And I'm really 100% focused in and on the business again now, and it's it's uh, it's really good. We're getting some great traction, and it's it's great to be to be back 100% involved again.
0: Sure, and I imagine when uh, you're going through that process, um, you would have had to have done some. Uh, personal analysis and looked at okay well I've got great strengths in these areas I've got some gaps that I need to fill in in order to really be able to fulfill this role of being CEO of a listed company in Australia what were some of the gaps that you identified in yourself and how did you deal with that?
1: I certainly had no exposure to uh, the investment banking and you know investment community side of things Mm -hmm. so that was an area where I really needed to you know do a good job and, and, and get through these capital raisings and, and transactions and things like that. But but luckily, the board has been, uh, you know, I couldn't ask for, for any more from them. They've been extremely supportive and, and we've got some great skills and expertise on there. Um, you know, Rob Douglas uh, works for Morgan's. Uh, Nathan's been through these things mm-hmm. numerous times. So we sort of, in those early days we started where, as I said, I was Chief Operating Officer, but Nathan was, um, managing director so sort of hung on to his coattails for that first you know six months or so and, and really got that experience mm-hmm. uh and then when, when they were sort of confident that I, I could could handle it obviously the change happened mm-hmm. to ceo and, and nathan up to chairman and uh and now generally uh it's myself and, and the cfo that go and do the the road shows yep. and, and all those sort of things but okay. it's been a, a a thoroughly enjoyable experience um you know, I'm a fi- financial junkie and, and political junkie and, and, and getting to meet these guys and talk to them about things they're investing in or things they're looking at and, and, and just how they view things is, mm. is really interesting.
0: Sure. Well, what would you say are some of the key things that you've learned from talking to them that you've then been able to bring back and apply in the business in terms of to improve your own performance? Yeah. Uh, you just... They are...
1: Uh, the masters of judging character right i think yeah you can't underestimate how much they invest in the person right i think if they see that you're a a genuine person and and you're you're giving it your best and you're being Mm -hmm. honest and open and, and transparent and all these things and you know you're not a snake oil salesman or any of this stuff i i think that you know you get a pretty good hearing with them okay um and really that's the kind of person i've always been i've you know pretty pretty straight up and down and and open and honest and it is what it is Mm -hmm. so I think that you know just being myself in that way has has served me Mm -hmm. quite well yeah Uh, and again importantly in this business given it changes so quickly you certainly can't uh, tell them you're gonna do things that you can't deliver on right so you've just got to be honest with those sort of things too
0: yeah what's that saying uh you uh, bet on the jockey, not on the horse. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I know. I think yeah. I read that as a headline just yesterday, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's so true, isn't it? Um, its is. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't know because I don't know the numbers, but in terms of listed C, uh, CEOs of listed businesses, you'd have to be at the sort of the younger younger end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, that's that's correct. What am I now? Late late thirties, uh, thirty eight. So certainly, I'd say you know on average. Uh, probably at the younger end, yeah, Yeah. I'd I'd say. But I think uh, certainly there's been been other ones that um, have been given a go at this sort of similar age and and those sort of things.
0: Well, what do you think it is uh, about you? You mentioned earlier, um, you know, you've got this never-say-die attitude and and you're, you know, ultra-competitive. But um, what would you say are some of the... uh, more um, tangible things about the way that you lead and the uh, the way that you execute that's enabled you to get to being in this kind of role, you know, at what is a relatively young age.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd certainly say the communication skills are most important. Mm-hmm. You know, with this job, um, you know, it's not a it's not a massive team. It's not a hands off CEO role where uh, you know I've got a PA and I'm just in meetings all the time and and I'm dealing with investors I'm actually quite heavily involved in the business mm-hmm. um, and hands-on so you definitely need the communication skills to one minute you're on Pitt Street with sole Pattinson's yeah and the next minute uh, like yesterday I'm up at Cannington with with our guys on the rigs sure and uh, and so I think I've just got a, a good ability uh, to connect personal uh, you know personally with with different people in in different places and mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a social person, and you know enjoy meeting and talking to people and, mm-hmm. and getting around, and I think that's a, a big part of it. Mm. Um, I genuinely care about people. Um, you know, I know one of the one of the values of the of our brand is our people are your success. Um, no matter how many drawings we got, no matter how good they are, we're nothing without good people, good mm-hmm. teams, uh, and those sort of things. So certainly, it's a you know we're trying to make it a really cool place to work
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and, and that's what's gonna make us different is our, is our people.
0: Okay, so uh, cool's an interesting uh, word yeah. to use. Yeah. How, do you, how do you make this business cool?
1: Look, we're doing certain things to to really engage and, and communicate with everyone. Yep. Traditionally in the drilling industry you get feedback from crews on rigs that oh, we don't hear anything or we're not getting communicated with or you're not listening to us and, mm-hmm. and this sort of stuff. So really with technology these days, it's enabling us to, to open up communication channels more and mm-hmm. and and move uh, quicker and, and be more nimble for clients and and for our teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a very small head office. Uh, we want our resources in the field servicing our clients, you know, looking after our people on the ground. And, yeah. uh And so we're doing things like, um, you know, we've got a closed group uh, Facebook page that, if you're an employee, you're in; if you're not, you're out. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff that goes on there, photos of, of us outside of a client's office about to go in for a tender, right. to stuff we like on rig, stuff we don't like. Um, yeah. You know, some funny stuff as well. Sure. So yeah. it's it's pretty good, we keep it light-hearted. Um, but that's a great way for us to communicate. But at the end of the day, uh, we just want people to be proud to wear the Mitchell shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the only reason we got the transaction away is because of Nathan's brand and reputation uh, and those things. and. Mitchell's about absolute quality. You know, mm-hmm. it's the Qantas of, of drilling, okay. so to speak. Yeah. And we just want the people that work for us to be the best mm-hmm. and be proud to wear the shirt. Mm. And, um, and is that
0: yeah. reflected in your pricing? I mean, uh, uh, it's not cheap to do these things, but uh, if your clients respect and value it, are you uh, able to get a premium sort of price for your services as compared to the industry?
1: In this market, uh, very, very difficult. Right. Very, very difficult. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, you know, a majority of the tenders that we participate in price would be, you know, a 40% to 60% ranking mm-hmm. um, of, of all aspects of a tender. Mm-hmm. I certainly think that some of the clients we got uh, are really, really good and and value um, what we bring to the table, mm-hmm. which is great. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's really appreciated. and, and And yes we do you know we're not the cheapest uh but we're not the most expensive either Mm. you know i think i think we i think our pricing is is fair for for what we're delivering and 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 you know asking for a fair return in a a very tough market Mm -hmm. okay
0: and so by the time this uh, podcast goes live it'll be early 2016 uh you know what's the uh the grand plans for the business over the next 12 months
1: well we've got all of the equipment acquisition's out of the way now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've sort of got up to the 77 or thereabouts rig count. Uh, we've sold a lot of assets of recent times to, re- to reduce debt mm-hmm. and, and increase the quality of the fleet and the standardization of the fleet. So that's, that's all done. Mm-hmm. So moving forwards into next year, we've got uh, some fantastic clients, some fantastic base load contracts, uh, you know, the right assets, the debt's down, and it's really just focusing on delivering you know, safe, efficient, profitable uh, services to the clients. Mm-hmm. Really knuckling down and battening the hatches down, I think it's gonna be another tough year, mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all we can do is, you know, is control the controllables Yeah. And, um, and, and keep delivering.
0: Right, so it's gonna be a year of consolidation and looking for, um Uh, areas of improvement rather than any big sort of hairy audacious goals around growth and things like that. Correct having said that
1: if the you know we've got we have got a very good pipeline of opportunities Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got the assets to to take advantage of the opportunities Mm -hmm. Uh, if they come fantastic Mm. Um, so we'll certainly be out there you know trying to utilize more of our fleet Mm -hmm. you know we're sort of probably 40 percent or thereabouts utilized and we really want to try and get that up as as much as we can, obviously. Okay,
0: that seems quite low forty percent. Would that be how would that compare to the industry?
1: Thirty industry what?
0: Right. right, so seventy percent of their assets are sitting idle. Wow, that's a a lot of cost.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a it's been brutal. Right, far out. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of competitors obviously have exited the market.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's created, I suppose, opportunity for you to acquire some of those assets. Yeah,
1: and that was that was really the. The whole premise behind the re-entry into the Australian market was, you know, it took the family thirty-plus years uh, to sell for circa 150 million dollars last time. Right. They wanted to come back in this time and use a listed vehicle and 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 grow and get that value in a shorter time, you know, sharing the risk with uh, you know a public investor base mm-hmm. and uh, get the assets at the bottom of the market at cents on the dollar, which we've done, mm-hmm. and then take advantage and, and leverage. Uh, off those purchases in an improving market at some stage in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So hopefully, uh, we do see a a bounce back at some stage, who knows when, but at this stage, batten down the hatches and and take advantage of the opportunities when they come.
0: Okay, and what about for you on a personal level, Uh, um, you know, you're getting close to 40, Uh, in terms of thinking about your own professional development over say the next 12 or even sort of two to five years, what are some of the things that you know, you're keen to do to continue to grow and, and evolve as a leader?
1: The, the last few years, you know, obviously, with, well, the last couple of years re-entering Australia have been extremely busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think next year, um, you know, I'll probably be in a position to reassess and have a, have a really good look at it. Um, at this stage I've really, you know, I've got requirements to do professional development hours for CPA or for okay. Institute of Company Directors, yep. things like that. Uh, but I'm really doing, what just say, two-day, three-day intensive short courses mm-hmm. to get the hours. So yep. I did one recently on, on public speaking, right. which was which was a good one and some some good tips. But um, yeah, I've you know I've done the CPA, I've done the MBA, done the Company Directors course. What's next? I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, it's to a be tough honest. one, isn't it? It uh, is. I
0: think uh, there are a lot of people who are probably a bit older than you, but uh, they've reached a point in their career where if they haven't done an MBA already, it's not really that relevant to go back and do one because uh, they're pretty much living and breathing it in terms of their jobs every day. So what do you do? Um, People go and do AICD course, not necessarily because they want to be a director, but because they just want some... Quality uh, professional development, and that seems yeah. to be one of the only options available. So, yeah, you know, I definitely agree. I think that there is an opportunity in the market for some kind of ongoing bespoke professional development to mm-hmm. allow leaders to really excel. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll have to wait yeah. and see what happens in yeah. that space.
1: But I, but I'd certainly like to, you know, to look at uh, some time with charities, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the future. Yeah. Um I'm keeping it a, a diary of all the wonderful stories that I've heard around the place in the drilling industry. Right. So, when the time is right, I'll definitely, definitely write a book. Right. On the industry, there's some some brilliant stories.
0: Well, I remember reading that book a few years ago. Don't tell mum I work on oil rigs or something like that. There's yeah. some good stories
1: in that book. Yeah. So it'll be, be something along those lines. Right. And, and you know, anonymous people obviously to to protect the uh, to protect those that need protecting. Sure. But it's, there's going to be some 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 good stories, uh, some fun stories. So it's a uh, a good industry.
0: Okay, great. And so the uh, you know the the predominant reason for doing this podcast is for the audience who listens, who are aspiring uh, C suite executives or non executive directors, to uh, listen to those who have walked the path before them. If you had to offer some you know really critical pieces of advice, perhaps the things that you were advised about earlier in your career, you know what would you be saying to these people that's going to allow them to accelerate? To their own full potential.
1: Yeah, I would say, don't be afraid to move. I certainly can see with my resume that I did move uh, a lot in the in the early stages, mm-hmm. but it was for a reason. Sure. I think the comment you made before about grabbing it by the horns is entirely relevant, no matter what stage you're at in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's quite important. Communication skills are just absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to present options to senior management are important from all the way through. You know, don't don't give them one answer and and no no meat around it. Mm-hmm. You know, give them option one, option two, option three, and mm-hmm. and reasons why you recommend a certain one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that just that tenacity to keep keep fighting and, and boxing is is important too, mm-hmm. uh, and honesty. I think uh, you know. There's, it's not always good news, mm-hmm. and um, you just got to be open and honest with the news sure. to to people all the time. And you know, it's you know, it's not rocket science. Um, it's just hard work. Yeah, you know. And uh, the other important thing for me was on the education side of things. I think broadening your horizons. You know, that the oh. the commerce degree was good. Uh, the CPA was was good, um, but you know, the MBA was fantastic. It really opened up. took the blinkers off and Mm -hmm. and you start looking at um, marketing and and all sorts of other things which Mm -hmm. was was quite interesting. Mm. Um, You know, and and as you grow and develop in your career, uh, you know, what you're sort of working on and developing on changes and then, you know, the company director course became relevant so did that and and, and that that sort of thing. Mm.
0: Have you ever had a a coach or any um, uh, formal mentoring type relationships?
1: I haven't had anything formal Mm -hmm. um, but there's always been a couple of really good people along the way at the right times. Okay. And, and there are a couple of, when I was at Elders, um, you know, and there's a, there's a couple that are around now. Um, you know, I, I'd probably prefer not to mention who they are exactly, but uh, it is nice having someone to be able to talk to. Yeah. It's certainly true that being a CEO is, is a lonely rock. Sure. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found that out definitely over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's hard to, to find someone to talk to or, or vent with and, mm. and those sort of things. So it, mm. is, it is nice to have someone that I can go and see and, and, and talk to and, you know, just get their advice on yep. how do you do this and, sure. and how do you do that.
0: But you don't need to lie on the couch. and. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> right. If this
1: market doesn't get any better, no, <laughs> maybe. Right.
0: And, uh, I mean, you've talked about a lot of the things that you really love about your job uh, and the industry and so on, but what are some of the things that you don't like so much?
1: Look, I know it's uh, I know it's drilling and and it's the way it goes, but um, you've had you have contracts where you, you go through blood, sweat, and tears to to get a team together, yeah, um, to get the, the gear ready, mm-hmm. to get out the door to start the job, and a very short time later, you know the client changes their mind and all of a sudden you've got to lay all these people off, yeah, and uh, that's hard. Mm you know letting people go is hard but it's what we do Mm -hmm. um you know we ramp up as quickly as we ramp down Mm -hmm. we're we're a contractor Mm -hmm. um it's the contracting business it's what clients use us it's the way it goes but i certainly think it doesn't matter how many times you've done it um you know whoever you have to do it to it's it does not get any easier Mm just you know it's just we've all got friends and family and and relatives and we you know we all Got to support our families, and 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 that's just a, a tough part of the game.
0: Mm, sure, no, absolutely. And uh, we've talked all about work today, but uh, you know what uh, keeps you sane? What do you like to do when you're not uh, working?
1: Oh, number one, spend time with the family. That's that's the most important thing these days. Uh, mm. Eight year old, five year old, and obviously a lovely wife Melissa. So you know it's just great to spend time with all of those those guys and and, and have good fun. Other than that, I love love trying to enter a a competition that I'm not fit enough for and and train like crazy to do it. So, you know, we've done the Oxfam 100k walk and we've got the Gundawindi Hell of the West triathlon scheduled in in January this year. Right. And we generally get a team together and, uh, uh, you know, try and raise a bit of money for charity. Yeah. So that's good fun. Right.
0: And are these Tough Mudder type uh, things, they're the kind of things you're into, are they?
1: (laughs) No, I couldn't do the Tough Mudder. They've got the... uh, the one we have to crawl through a tube, and I'm not not a big fan <laughs> of, of tight tight <laughs> spaces or or, or electrocution. Yeah,
0: I've done a, a few of those and uh, running through the electric wires. And when you actually get shocked, it is um, not for the faint hearted, that's for sure. No, but
1: I, I do enjoy uh, running, triathlon, right. those sort of things. I'm I'm certainly no athlete, but just enjoy having a having a go. Um, you know, it's difficult these days with a lot of travel to to participate in anything team orientated, but yeah. so it's good to train for something that's an event with a team. Sure. And you can put the date in your diary and and, and go and do it, so. Oh, fantastic. Yeah.
0: And so, uh, just before we wrap it up, because uh, it is getting late on a Friday afternoon, um, any final comments, uh, anything you'd like to uh, discuss, which we haven't spoken about already that you think uh, the people listening would have an interest in?
1: No, not really. I think it's been a, a pretty good discussion. I think, uh, yeah, as far as, uh, you know, books go. There's a couple of good books I've read in my time. Okay. Um, You know, one that I'd recommend to people to have a read of would be um, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits.
0: Oh yeah, Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Vern. Oh, Vern Harnish. Yeah, very good book. Right. Uh,
1: Certainly operational rhythm to me is important with your your meeting schedules, your meeting agendas. Uh, I like it, I like keeping things simple. Mm -hmm. And I think that book is, you know, Short, sharp strategic plans, mm-hmm. and, and and some good meeting schedules, good ideas on meeting timings, and, and things you like do that. You do your daily huddle. Yeah, we do a daily huddle. We okay. got the the central meeting thing out there, All and right. just a very quick around the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, every every function has its its weekly meeting and has mm-hmm. their agenda, and they send okay. the minutes out and, and those things. So I think, mm-hmm. again, coming from the McDonald's days, mm-hmm. the sure. the discipline, organisation, and structure, and 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 they don't need to be long winded, and they've got to be effective, and. Mm-hmm you know, you get your actions that come out of them and you manage them and close them. Mm-hmm. But it certainly improves the communication okay. around the place. And okay,
0: yeah. you mentioned a couple of books, what's the other one? Oh,
1: other ones are more, more fun reading, you know, like um, McDonald's Behind the Arches is a good read. Right. Rise and Rise of Kerry Packer is a good read. Okay. You know, there's some, some good books like that.
0: You like reading the biographies good. of uh, business leaders? Yeah,
1: I, I, I like reading uh, in general. I'm um, always reading something. Um, not as much as I'd like to these days, obviously, mm-hmm. but certainly the oh, the financial press I'll I'll mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. regularly just to keep in touch with those things. But um, yeah, definitely business biographies or or stories on companies. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think from MBA studies and things, you read some some real interesting case studies.
0: Yeah, and are you a yeah. technology geek?
1: Getting better, right? I'm getting better. I joined Facebook in the last six months. Oh, really? Uh, primarily to get it going for sure. The um, The team's here, which has been good and it has been, you know, good personally too to catch up with a lot of old people and I've I've actually worked out how to use iTunes properly and get that organised. So I am am getting better.
0: And now you're on a podcast. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's excellent. Look, um, well, uh, Andrew, I really appreciate your time uh, and I'm sure that the people listening will have uh, learned some great things and uh, it's just really interesting for me interviewing so many different people. Everybody seems to have their unique little uh, uh, flavour or piece of inspiration that they add in, and uh, it's certainly been the case today. So, I look forward to hearing about the successes of uh, Mitchell in 2016, and uh, have a fantastic afternoon.
1: No, thank you very much for having me on. Wish you a safe and and happy Christmas. Okay, thank you.
0: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Andrew, and I hope you did too to be able to talk to somebody who is under 40 and is holding the role of CEO of a listed company was uh, quite a privilege. And it was excellent to hear his views on leadership and how he has been able to achieve such a great career outcome at such an early age. I've gotten to know Andrew over the last few years and I'm looking forward to seeing how his career unfolds over the next five to 10 years. I'm sure he's got a tremendous career ahead of him. So thanks again for tuning in, and before you go, don't uh, forget to stay on and listen to Simon Gardner's new track from his new album, And So It Goes, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Have a great day. Bye.